For years, I've been saying that the first deal is one of the key moments on an entrepreneur's journey. But how do you find that first deal? Where do you start? How do you spot an opportunity? Today on The Rebel Entrepreneur, we have Stephen, who runs a successful small business. He's a family man, and you have got to hear the story of his first deal. The first sale can change your world forever. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast and I have been looking forward to this episode. I have with me Stephen. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey there, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) And I met Stephen. uh, Sean McHugh, who you will know from the podcast if you listen to season one, was organizing a mastermind and he invited me on. I had no idea who else was going to be in this mastermind. And there, Stephen, you're part of the mastermind as well. I am. I've been, been enjoying it. It's been an interesting experience, hasn't it? And uh, Sean McHugh has brought together a fascinating group of people. And I don't know why you sent me this email about how you started your business. And it was the most inspiring startup story. And I thought, this is exactly the message I want to share with the Rebel Entrepreneur audience, exactly the message about how you got going. Have you always run your own business, Stephen? Not always. I... um... When I was in college, I, I worked at like a engineering consulting firm and it was just horribly boring. And, uh, <laughs> and I knew pretty quickly that like, that's not what I was going to do. I took a first job out of school that, you know, was in a city I didn't like, and I was just straight miserable the whole time. But I took that opportunity and the time to start really reading and learning about personal finances and business and all that. And I just took it as like a, a year and a half of you know, almost a, a university, you know, to uh, think about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and just kind of, you know, shut it down and move back uh, to my home city and uh, without really anything going on, I didn't have any real prospect. And it just started when necessity starts uh, kicking in, like your brain really starts working overtime to find something that works for you, you know, and when you seek it out, you usually find it. So I find that fascinating. What inspired you to start learning? Because I've discovered through going out there, there's only a small percentage of the population that you would ever consider a lifelong learner, someone who's reading, studying. And I know we've connected over some of the people we follow and listen to and learn from. Where did that desire to learn, self-learn come from? It's funny. Like I think it's, uh, I went to Georgia Tech, which is an engineering school in America here and pretty rigorous academically. And so like I was used to learning at like a very rapid pace all the time, like just through a fire hose. Right. And then, so when I got out of school and I got this job and it was kind of like very routine lifestyle, you know, it's like I was in a place <laughs> I, I didn't really like, and it was hard to meet people and I'm very gregarious. And I, I had a really tough time uh, in a very clicky small town. And so like, I just had lots of time on my hands and I was used to learning so much. Like it was a vacuum of not learning anything. So I was just like, man, what I got? Uh, all right, here's a library card, free books. Let's get them, you know, and just started like plowing through these books. And still to this day, I, I read very little fiction. It's all like nonfiction. And so I just 
there's so much I don't know. When I get to know everything, then maybe I'll move over to fiction and, and have some fun. <laughs> but like, I tend to read fiction or nonfiction and uh, and watch fiction on TV, right? But yeah, I didn't have much TV down there, and so it was just books, man. I hit the books and uh, really learned a lot. So, and I I took a lot of notes. That is fascinating because. I do the same thing. I read nonfiction books. I love knowledge. I love learning. I love then going out and applying it. But that's not what most people do. Most people go, I'm in a new town. I don't know many people. I'll go to the bar. I'll go to the pub. I'll go out and meet people. Not many people say, I'm going to go to the library and check out a load of business books. I know it sounds terribly lame, doesn't it? Uh, and nerdy, no, but, it uh, makes me excited. <laughs> like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this was a bar town too. So, I mean, there was barn, but it was, it was a touristy uh, place in, in Savannah, Georgia. And so, but yeah, I mean, I could spend every night at the bar. I just, you, know, you can only go so much and then you're, uh, you're bored with that. So uh, I joined tennis clubs. I worked out the gym and did my best to, to meet people in the best ways I knew how it was, it was kind of pre-internet you know, pre social media time. So, you know, you had to do it old school way. And, and I, so I made a few friends, but it, it just, it, it was tough. So yeah, I just I hit the books, man, learned a lot and uh, kind of set the foundation for, in the philosophy going, you know, going forward for like doing my own business. You know, I've always been kind of an entrepreneur. I started a th- few things in college. It kind of flopped. It, it was a little ahead of its time, a little, you know, maybe not the perfect idea, but I've always been, I've always been kind of in sales focused. I like the medical industry. That's kind of where I started. So before we come back to the the ideas that didn't work, because there's always fascinating bits there, from the time hitting the books in Savannah, Georgia, was there anything you remember that had a really big impact on you? I mean, what were the books that really hit you or what were the things you learned in that period? So, you know, I really started off with maybe like Susie Orman books and more personal finance stuff, you know, Dave Ramsey and like things like that. You know, it's hard to hard to remember all of them. It was a lot of those kind of books, business books, wherever I could pull from the library, just all nonfiction business related, you know, kind of the stuff that, are, you know, a lot of people read. And it just kind of honed like my thought because, you know, I, I come from an accountant, my parent and my mom's an accountant. So, you know, there was a little bit of that ingrained in me and like, and kind of watching numbers and being frugal and all that. But like, you know, really, you know, until I kind of came up with my own philosophy on it, like it didn't stick. I mean, I don't have any like real turning points on there that early. And it was just kind of a base foundation of personal finance type stuff. Interesting. Because knowing the numbers is going to play a big factor in this. And the numbers, it's really interesting about the numbers of business. So moving forwards, what got you out of the corporate job? What did you go straight into running your business afterwards? Yeah, well, what I really didn't like about it was, you know, a smaller footprint company, but, but still pretty big. And they would say, oh, well, we're going to move you to Fort Lauderdale and then, oh, we're going to move you to North Carolina maybe. And then we're going to put you in this position. Oh, maybe we'll put you in that position. And they kept just, I, I was felt like I was getting bounced around like with no real sincerity and I couldn't plan for anything in my life. It's like, I couldn't even really plan for like what type of cell phone service I wanted because, you know, if you did a two year contract and I'm not here anymore, then like it was going to cause me a, a problem. And, you know, all these sort of things, like I just didn't like the unknown of, of like where they're going to send me. I didn't like not having control over where I was going to live. I was already in the city. I didn't really like it. And the idea of being sent to another city outside of my control, I just didn't like it. So I didn't do it. So I said, thank you. And I spent some time, you know, just learning a few things and making some contacts. And then I just said, I'm out. And I didn't have a, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have anything lined up. Maybe not the <laughs> smartest thing. Didn't have a ton of money like <laughs> saved up at that point. I had a little bit, you know, but I had a little bit of a, you know, drain on me and the moment, but 
I came back. I had a few contacts with that company that I that I knew. So I reached out to them when I got back and said, "Hey, I'm in Atlanta. Do you know of anything like you know as far as like it was like sales independent repping is what I was doing. So take over product lines for companies that instead of having their own sales force, they hire you know hired guns salespeople. And what's good about it is like you can take on as many companies as you feel like and you can manage. So uh, I took on a company that did some medical products. And it was kind of already, I already knew their products because we, I'd used them in this other, this job. So I was already pretty familiar with them. So they were like, Hey, sure. Take on. And they already had some business in this territory. So there was already an instant cash stream. It wasn't a lot, but it was something to like keep me fed. Right. There was already an existing book of business. It was just kind of small. They wanted to grow it. And so went on with the first company and then he, they turned me on to another company they, that they work with a lot, got in with them. You know, so I had a couple couple different companies that picked up a third because a lot of times when you're, you're traveling around these small towns, it's like if you're only peddling one product, it didn't make sense. You know, you, you had to call on a number of, you know, there may only be one or two businesses in that town that could even possibly use your service. So you had to add a few extra. And so I started just adding extra companies that needed sales res- representation, you know, started picking those up and, and they were okay. Like, you know, it got me kind of headed in the right direction and going in and talking to people and like kind of filling out what they needed. And so I added, I ended up adding through a contact on a guy that did repairs on this uh, specific medical device that's in a lot of different offices. And I started uh, like basically selling his service because he was horrible at it. He was kind of a back room, you know, <laughs> repair guy. And he was, he was horrible at selling himself. He, he kind of, he had other dealers and other people selling his service and they would ship the stuff into him. He would fix it and then they'd mark it up. Bam. So I started doing the same thing locally. You know, started making money with him. It was great. And so it kind of took me, I was in these offices and I, would, I kept going to these offices and they'd say, yeah, like, you know, in the hospitals and stuff. And they'd say, hey, I, yeah, I don't really need anything repaired, but I've got a bunch of junk back here in the in the closet that like we want to get rid of. Like, what can you do with that? <laughs> so I started like looking at that stuff and, you know, I, I told you the story before, but I had a, a contact in another city that said, hey, I've got a, I've got a, an office at closing down the doctor retired or whatever. And they're selling all the equipment. So I said, all right, let's go. I'm gonna come out and look at it. So went out there and looked at it and they priced the stuff out to There's one machine. I didn't know anything about anything this with this stuff priced out one machine and said, okay, it's a thousand dollars for this machine. And so I said, okay, I'm, I'm interested. I'll let you know tomorrow or, you know, in a couple of days. So I went out online. I found somebody that had a similar item, a dealer. I called them said, Hey, I've got this item. Would you be interested? They said, sure. And I said, uh, well, how much would you give me for it? And they said $3,500. I said, okay, I'll do that deal. So go ahead and send me half the money up front and we'll do it. So they sent me half the money up front. I went and used their money, bought the item, packed it up, shipped it to them. It took a little bit of leap of faith that they would send me the back half. Uh, well, way, already I'd already made, seven, that yeah, stage. Already made, yeah. already made 750 <laughs> bucks on it. And that was like huge to me. And they, they paid for it. And real quickly, I made 2,500 bucks with very little risk at all. And bam, that was what I call a magic moment. It's like, okay, this is cool. This fits like a lot of what I like, uh, what I'm good at negotiating and finding deals and bargains. And the profit margins are great. I said, all right, this is something. So you're traveling around as a sales rep, going to these different places, and you start to see equipment that's left in the back that's not being used. And that's the sort of aha moment is I wonder if we could resell that. Sure. You know, cause there's, there's always an army of, 
you know, sales reps out there that are doing my job for me, right? They're going out selling the latest, greatest, upgrade this, upgrade that, you know, get the latest. And they just want to get their new product in the door and all the old stuff just kind of gets pushed into the, the corner. And so that's when, you know, the, they have to do something with it. They're either going to toss it in the garbage or they make some money out of it. And I give them a good, good price, a fair price on it and turn around and resell it. A lot of times there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a generation or two old and it would just go back into the food chain a few steps down. So how do you turn one deal, which I am so impressed with that first deal, the fact you got the money up front to pay for the product and then shipped it, the fact you did it without that risk, without borrowing money to make it happen, I am that is an incredible first deal. But how do you take that first deal and build a business out of it? Because you've got a team, you've got to financial independence, you've done all this, you've got a team of three that does this. How do you take one deal for a piece of medical equipment and build a business? Well, it started off with a very, very sophisticated and complex business plan that fit on about uh, two post-it notes. Uh, <laughs> and so I sat down, and by this time I'd found a, uh, there was like an online marketplace and uh, I found a fellow that, that was in my area locally. I called him up. I said, hey, you know, I'm getting into this, into this business. Like, I see you, you're around. Like, let's go have lunch. Talk about it. He said, absolutely. Let's go tomorrow. Let's sit down and have lunch. And so this individual had, he'd been in the, in the medical equipment uh, business for a while. He'd worked at a repair facility. He already had some, you know, some experience in, the, in it, as well as being a lifelong, I mean, talk about it. Somebody should interview this guy's uh, insane. But we got together. We talked about kind of the possibilities and maybe partnering up probably was kind of crazy at the, the beginning. Cause you know, uh, I think Dave Ramsey call, says uh, the only ship that doesn't sail is a partnership. Uh, <laughs> and, and in a lot of cases it's true. And, and uh, you know, we're no longer together, but we're still friends. We kind of came out of it uh, with a friendship too. We still make money together. And, and so it kind of worked out, but you know, we got together shortly after that first deal and like, he kind of helped, you know, with some of the technical stuff and like how we do it. But I mean, our business plan was literally, we won't buy anything unless we can triple our money on it. So if we buy it for $1, we have to sell it for $3. If it's under that, it's probably, it's not worth it. So that was our formula. And it's still, and a lot of times it still is today at a minimum, because by the time you go get it, market it, ship it, you don't double your investment or double your money on it. Like, you know, it's probably not a great use of capital when you're buying and selling stuff. You know, when I'm looking at deals and stuff now, it's like, okay, if I can spend a thousand dollars and get a truckload of stuff, that's going to make me $10,000. Then like, I'm going to do that instead of buying something for a thousand dollars that I can resell for $1,500. Just because like, if I'm going to tie up a thousand dollars, like I'd rather tie it up with something that I'm going to get 10 times the money on versus something I'm barely going to make 50%. So that was the formula. It's like, Hey, three times their money. If we can find something that's, we can buy for three times and sell it for three times. Like, Bingo. Let's get it. Let's do it. It makes sense. And so that's basically what we've done. It's an extremely complex process. <laughs> you know, and you think like, oh my gosh, like, you know, the stock market's returning 6% and whatever. And how can you find a deal that's going to make 300% on, you know, stuff? Well, they're, they're everywhere. It's out there everywhere. I mean, every time you go to the McDonald's and you buy a Coke out of the, the soda fountain, they're making, you know, 100% on that or you know, 500% markup on that. It costs them like 15 cents and they're selling it for a dollar. There's margins like that everywhere. You just have to find them. That's fascinating. So there, there's so much I want to say. 
you've just <laughs> got to find them. How do you spot these opportunities? So you're going out there in the world for the uninitiated that steps out into the world. How do I see this? Because I'm like you, Stephen, I see opportunity everywhere, but how do you see it? How do you find opportunity? Let me go back before we find the opportunity. The other part of the uh, the business plan, the complex business plan, was that we don't believe in accounts receivable. I pretend like it doesn't exist, right? A lot of businesses run on thirty day terms. You know, hey, yes. get the product. We're gonna get. We're gonna pay you thirty days. The way I looked at it then and today is like, okay, I'm a small business. I'm you know really a, a, a nothing, a micro business in the world of business. Okay, and if I'm selling something to you know a hospital or a, a large you know, business or whatever. How absurd is it for me, a little micro nothing, to give a 0% loan to a multi-million dollar company for 30 days or 60 days? It means it's ridiculous, <laughs> right? Like who, who would, would you loan anybody money for 30 days at 0% interest? No, it's absurd. So like, why would you do that with your product? Like you've already paid for the product. You've got it in stock. You've delivered it. You've paid for the delivery, you, all these things you've added to it, and then you're going to wait on your money for 30 days. No, never done it. Won't do it. So how do you get them to pay you straight away? Do they pay on delivery? How does that happen? Because a lot of times big companies just say, these are the deals, that's it. Well, that's the thing. You don't, if they won't do it, they don't need it bad enough, and you don't need their, their business either. I'd rather find two customers that will pay you on time and when you deliver it. Because when it comes to business, it is all about cash flow. It's not talked about enough in podcast and and business saying business is nothing but cash flow. If you don't have it, it'll choke you right out and you won't make it. If you don't believe me, like right now with the COVID stuff going on, how many businesses are just had to take PPP loans and all that because their cash flow just choked them right out. It stopped, you know, and they didn't have enough savings to back up, you know, their cash flow. And more than anything, you got to have profitable sales and keep cash flow coming. And if you get paid when you deliver the stuff, guess what? You got cash and you can do the next deal. You know, if you don't, what's bad is it puts you in such a bad position when when you let somebody have accounts receivable on you and like you're waiting on the money to come from whatever business in 30 days or 60 days or whenever they feel like really paying you because they're bigger than they are, they know they are and they can wait you out and oh well, we didn't get the invoice. I mean, how many times has anybody out there heard that? Like, oh, we we must have misplaced the invoice. There's a lot of games to get played too, you know. <laughs> oh, you didn't you didn't put the date, you know, you didn't put the date or the the PO number or whatever on the on the invoice. So yeah, we can't pay it. It's going to be another thirty days before we cut checks. All that is garbage. I've had very large businesses, multi million dollar companies. I'll say, look, I'd be happy to sell this thing to you, but we're just going to have to get paid on you know up front. And if you insist and push, they will pay you. They will do it. Like you just have to be insistent on it. There is no policy in the world that says they can't. They just they're playing the game. They want to pay you in 30 days, like make their money last longer, you know, in their pocket. Like it's, it's the way it's done. But he, as a small business person, the micro business, you don't need it. You don't need it. And I've been in business for 15 years. It's not the longest in the world, but I'm still kicking through like two major recessions. And uh, I think it's all because of, I have no outstanding uh, accounts receivable and I never have. I love that. And I used to work for one of the major manufacturers of, well, it's a Japanese manufacturer of televisions, electronics, and all of that stuff. And I remember going to the, you know, they do the like yearly events where the management team get up and tell you what's going on. And I was in there and they were talking about the finances and something that stuck with me to this day, they were talking about 
if they could increase the period between when money came in to when money went out by a day. So if they could make the suppliers wait a day longer, or they could make the people buying it pay a day earlier, so they've got the money in their bank longer, with the volume of money that was going through their accounts, it was worth a million pounds, so like $1.2, million in interest a day. Yep. For the uninitiated out there, it's called the float. And it can be a big number. A lot of times PayPal, all those guys, like their whole thing, they hold, you know, money can be transferred instantly these days. I mean, in an instant, right? But PayPal waits two, three days to, for you to offload your money into your bank account. That's pure float. They're just holding, think about the millions and millions of dollars that they're holding in their account for two extra days, getting interest off of them. That's what it is. And they have done that to me. PayPal are notoriously bad at releasing money. They make you wait so long and put so many hurdles in front of you. They drive me mad, that company. Um, yep. That's fascinating. So look, cash flow, biggest killer of small businesses. Absolutely. Number one killer of small businesses. What are your tips on cash flow? How should we think about it? Let me think about that. But I think cash flow and trying, and, I, and I've heard Dave Ramsey say this before, like, Trying to, you know, kill an elephant when you're just starting out, you know, it's like, you like, you get excited, like, oh, I've got this big account or this big deal. And people try to extend and like, you know, try to get that big deal to, you know, and it's too big for them. Like, that's another thing I've done. I've never tried to like take on a, a deal that was too big for where I was at. Right. You can get there later. Right. But if, if it's going to require you to go into debt to buy a big piece of equipment or to fund the inventory or whatever, then like, okay, what happens if you, you take out a loan of $50,000 to fund the inventory for this big purchase for this big company, and then they don't pay you for 90 days. And then you can't pay, or they something happens and they say, oh yeah, or they go out of business, whatever, like you're stuck. And so uh, I think it's it's like doing what you can for what size you are and just being realistic about it. You know, that that's another thing that people overextend, grow, try to grow too fast. That, that thing, it'll kill you right out. Absolutely. So the first deal you did, you generated two and a half grand profit, which is phenomenal for a first deal. Is that the profit? Did you use the profit to do the second deal or how did it go from there? What did you, where did you go from there? I think I'm still using that, that profit to, to buy stuff <laughs> even today. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, we just, then it became like, all right, here's the treasure hunt. Let's go. You know, like let's, let's start looking every, you know, turning over every rock, looking in every closet, trying to find more of this stuff. And yeah, it's like, it's been going, going like that. It started off in the kind of the medical field and then now it's moved into virtually anything. I mean, I, we buy any kind of business related equipment, forklifts, trucks, you know, inventory, you know, whatever we can get our hands on that fit our formula. And a lot of that's finding motivated sellers. Like, you know, that's, that's the key. Like you got somebody that I, I got plenty of time. I don't have to move it out anytime soon. And those are not going to be your best deals, right? Like you, you have to look for people that it's a win-win. Like they want something done in a quick time or they have a, a deadline and just want it out, want it gone, whatever, or want the job done fast. They don't care. Those are the ones you're looking at. You're looking for motivation. And I'll tell you, like one of the best places I've found for motivation is where change happens. I, I say like where there's change, there's opportunity. So a lot of people like, shy away from change and it makes them nervous and they're scared. Like, I love it. Like right now I'm just in hog heaven because there's so much change. <laughs> yeah, there's so much change going on in the world right now with the COVID thing and like everything's moving. Right. And so anytime there's change, there's going to be opportunity. Change of seasons, change of marital status, change of 
when you move your you know house, when your your business changes direction, you know, anytime there's change, there's going to be massive opportunity, which goes back to like where you find opportunity. You look for change. I mean, anytime you hear somebody like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this, or you know, it's, we had to do you know change direction and go this way, like boom, there's there's something there. Somebody moved out of state, boom, there's opportunity. They're, they're going to be wanting to get rid of stuff, whatever it is, you know, you put your you label on it. It's going to be, there's opportunity there. So you invest your money, you buy things, and then you flip them online. Yeah. Or we, you know, we do active and passive selling. So like we'll, we'll get stuff, call around, try to game plan businesses that, or people that would maybe want the stuff, uh, you know, call them direct, put it online, eBay, you know, wherever we try to move it move it quick and keep the money rolling because that's a, you know, that's the other thing we, I try not to keep a whole lot of inventory because inventory uh, you sink a lot of money in in the inventory and you know, it's just dead money. You want to keep it rolling because even if your return is 25% or even if you just doubled your money, like as long as you keep it churning, the more times you double it, the bigger the number gets. So that's, that's the thing. Yeah. You got to keep it rolling. You sit on it, it. It tends to money never stays stagnant. It's never static. Right, it's either going up or it's going down, and so obviously you want it kind of going up, right? So if you keep it moving, it's going to go up. If you sit it still, it's going to go down, right? You have cost of living goes up, you have um, inflation, all that stuff is eating it up. It's getting smaller, so you got to keep it moving, keep it invested, keep it rolling, and, and it goes up. But it's never going to stay stay the same. So you keep the money moving, you keep doing the deals. Yeah. One thing I'm fascinated with. Sales has come up a few times in the conversation now. How did you learn to sell? Yeah, I, I don't think you have to be like a great, you know, you think of like the people on TV selling stuff on QVC and so like, that's like a weird sales thing. Most people don't like that. Like it's it's a gimmick. It's kind of weird. A lot of times like the stuff I've, I've always had is it kind of sells itself, right? Like you have stuff that's good. You offer it out there. Like some people already kind of want stuff. Like if, if you really got to push it, you know, it's not really my, my thing. If you really got to go out and beat the streets and push it, like I've just never really done that. Like I've always just had stuff for sale and put it out there and it's kind of sold itself, I guess. I mean, there's a little bit of salesmanship when you get somebody on the phone and like what I've found a lot of times is just knowing what not to say, not really what to say. It's like, what not, <laughs> like sometimes you can shoot yourself in the foot by saying something dumb, you know, and a lot of it's just confidence, like giving the people confidence in the product that you're selling. So, oh, it's great. Like it's gonna, you know, this is like one of the best ones in the market. You're not gonna have any problem with it. If you do, you just call us back. Like we're gonna take care of it. You know, like it's really just, it's more about confidence. Like people knowing that if they buy something from you, especially I do a lot of secondhand stuff, like we're gonna make it right no matter what. Cause that's like everybody's fear is like getting something and not working and then them being stuck with it, you know, and out of their money, right? That's like the cardinal rule not to do in business. It's like, we take your money, we send you the item and you get a good product. If you don't, we're going to make it right. Just like that. Because, you know, along with the accounts receivable, you know, thing, like typically we make people pay up front before we ship something out. I don't have the time or the resources or the people to hunt down money. I hate doing it. I hate begging for my money from people that already have the product that I sent them. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I kind of um, equate it to like, I don't know where I heard it. If, if I just thought about it, we, we talked about it like, it's the difference between like going to McDonald's and you pay the money up front and you get the meal versus like going to a restaurant where you sit down, the waitress, the waiter comes over and they try to their best to please you. The cooks have already cooked the meal. You know, 
all these things happen and at the end, then you decide whether it was good enough to pay for the meal. You know what I mean? And tip the waitress. <laughs> like it's a, that's the difference, right? Like, and so I'd rather be the McDonald's. Like, hey, you you throw my money up front or whatever restaurant that you know Chipotle or whatever you go to, and like you give them the money up front, you get the meal versus like, hey, I get the meal up front. And then I, you know, then it's in balls in my court whether I really want to pay it or I want to cause a stink and decide what I want to pay or whether I liked it or not, you know? So that's, that's kind of part of it. I always find this one fascinating because if you think about Amazon, you wouldn't write an email to Amazon and said, look, ship me the new laptop, send it to me. I'm going to test it for 30 days, make sure I like it, and then I'll pay you afterwards. Like, <laughs> yeah. Amazon's not going to do that. But for some reason, when people start new businesses and they're selling business to business, or even when they're selling to consumers, they feel like they need to do the work first. And a lot of this is down to confidence, I think. Yeah. So where did your confidence come from, Stephen? Uh, I don't know. I think I've always been like naturally confident. I think a lot of what business is and success in business is just confidence. Like, and a lot of it's putting out the vibe, like they you're going to do what's right for somebody, no matter what. Like, hey, you buy this from me, whether you pay me up front or when I'm done with the job or whatever, like it's going to be right or you know, I'm going to make it right. And so I don't know. I don't know really where it's come from for me, but uh, confidence is huge. I mean, if you doubt yourself, why would anybody else trust you or have confidence in you? You know? So, it, you know, you have to put a, an air of confidence on the business. And, you know, I think a lot of times, a lot of contractors and stuff, they, they ask for money up front, part of money, part of the, you know, the deal up front. And, you know, people have been hear stories about people getting burned and this and that. And I, I found like, it's funny, some of the, the customers that I've dealt with over the years, like the ones that are the most free with money and say, Hey, I'm going to send you the payment, send me the items. And they're just tr trustworthy. Like I bend over backwards to not earn their trust, but like make sure that they, since they instilled trust in me is to deliver for them. Right now, the one that calls you is like, well, uh, how about a, you know, I'll get it and I'll, I'll look at it first. And then, you know, and then, then, uh, you know, then I'll send you half the payment and the, you know, all that, like those are the ones that are going to be a problem because they, they have such a trust problem. You know, you're not going to do well over time. You have to be trustworthy. And, and I, I mean, I send, I send money all over the country to buy things. You know, I've sent it into the, you know, the air, like somebody could walk, <laughs> walk with, and just never take my phone call again. But I've been so lucky over like 15 years to like, it's only happened once, one time, you know, for like $800. And I've just been lucky like that, I guess. And, and I, I can, I've gotten to where I can tell there's certain verbal cues I can kind of take and kind of head that off. But I'm sorry, we got off topic. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So every week in your business, you start and do you go out and find the deals at the beginning of each week or like, yes. so, how does this work? Yeah. And it's really random. Like sometimes it'll be nothing going on and we'll get a phone call and it's like, all right, go time. And like, we'll go and just load up, you know, it's just so random. And it's like, it's one of those things you, like I've learned to just have faith in it because like I've been doing this for a long time and every week, every single week, I have no idea where money's coming from. Like on Monday morning, like there's usually zero prospects, right? <laughs> there, and uh, which is like some people just can't imagine this lifestyle or like much less not having a paycheck every Friday, but like every week, just no idea where cash flow is coming from because we don't have any sort of set, steady, you know, all right, we know, we know we're shipping a hundred boxes of X, you know, a week to certain businesses. Like that's just not how it works with us. So 
yeah, I mean, we just have to rely on like finding things, bringing them in. Sometimes they need work and there's just a pipeline. We just keep stuff out there. And after a while, you know, we built up enough things that there's enough stock to where st- something's always kind of selling, but it's not guaranteed, right? So some weeks are pretty bad. Some weeks are just incredible. Like every time you pick up the phone, people are throwing money at you. It just, but you, you just don't know. But it's kind of random. It, I mean, we live kind of in a random uh, in a business, just my particular business. But there's a lot of businesses that aren't. There's a lot of, depending on what you're doing, like it's pretty structured and, and predictable. And that's typically how people like it, you know, a little better. But I've just been doing it so long. I'm so, I'm totally used to it. And what, what I've found too is like, it almost helps with motivation because it's easy when you, when you're shipping a hundred boxes every, every week and you know, it's going to be X like to get lazy, right? We don't get lazy. Like every week we know we got to hunt and kill something or drag it back or we're going to be hungry. You know, and everybody on the team knows that. So it's like, everyone's focused on bringing in cash in the door and what can I do today to either get something ready to be sold or to sell something or to upsell something to someone to make that, make that number. So it actually is kind of a motivator. So it sounds like a treasure hunt every day. It sounds like you start every week with a new map going, where's the treasure? Yeah. And it's, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's uh, it's not the most, <laughs> it's not the most efficient. Right. But you know, like at this point it's, it's gotten to where it's just fun. You know, this is what we do. Like some days I'll buy an old vintage car or something that's been left in the woods somewhere and we'll turn around and sell it to Tyler Perry studios. And it's like, Oh, okay. Weird. And then some days we'll, we'll buy a forklift and turn around and sell it. Other days up, you know, we've bought antiques, you know, it's just totally random. I mean, I guess it's kind of like a pawn shop if you you know think about it, but as long as it fits in our formula and it's got a reasonable idea of selling, we'll do it. But we focus on business, you know, more business assets, you know, so when you're looking at a deal, how do you know whether to say yes or no? Because that would be my question. I'm looking at, and I was fascinated this. My dad did exactly the same thing with different deals. He would, like a supermarket had gone bankrupt, so he bought all of their stuff. Yeah. And I remember him saying, I'm coming back to the warehouse. I've got a truck full of freezers. Go buy extension cables because we need to plug them all in. Otherwise, <laughs> the food's going to go off. So yep. I'm scrambling around buying extension cables. We're plugging yep. in freezers. Now I'm selling frozen pizza. I've never done that before. And it's the most random deals every day. But how do you know whether to do the deal or not? Like someone's well, selling something. Yeah. You see well, it online. You see it in real life. How do you know? Sometimes it just it just kind of calls out to you. And there's no real like, you don't know why you're buying it. Really, sometimes like you just you think it's cool, and it's like uh, something in something in me says like we need to get this, and if I like it, somebody else is going to like it, probably at a higher price. Mm. And then the other part is just like it's just does it fit in the formula? Like, do we have a pretty good chance of doing this, uh, or you know, selling this stuff in a reasonable amount of time? And reasonable is up for debate. And um, really, in any investment, like the risk is about the price you pay for it, right? So. If you if you pay dirt money for something, a whole supermarket full of stuff, like, well, after you sell the first two items, like you're in the money. So the risk is extremely low. You know, it kind of it's kind of a risk versus return on investment that you have to kind of and hassle. Is it something that it's gonna be an entirely huge hassle and not be a great return? In the meantime, you're risking a lot of money? Like, no, I'm not gonna do it. If it's something that's like all right, it's going to be a big hassle, but we're getting it for dirt cheap and it's got a great potential for making a good money. Like, boom, we're doing it. 
So it's it's kind of that trifecta of like return, risk, and hassle on the sliding scale of which one that one's closest to. And if it's close to only one of them, like, okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that view of return, risk, and hassle because some of the deals are, they can be unbelievable hassle. And I guess there's a speed element, isn't there? So yeah, like, when, so, yeah, like on, on speed wise, like the only time I break the, the formula is like, if I know it's something I'm going to flip directly to someone, like I already have it sold and you know, it's like, okay, I bought it for a thousand. I'm going to sell it for 1800 and I'm never even going to have to touch it. And it's going to go straight to another dealer or a friend of mine or something. And like, I'm just going to collect the 800 bucks and, there's not going to be much hassle for me. It's just really just a, a little bit of uh, logistics or whatever. Boom. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll take that that money all day long. But if it's something I'm going to bring into inventory and like have to work on, like then the return needs to be more. So if you were giving some advice to new entrepreneurs who are starting out launching businesses, one of the things we talk about continuously is starting up with no cash. Yeah. And you did exactly what we talk about, which is sell it before you buy it. So you actually generated the money before you even did it. You used the customer's monies to begin. I love that. If you're speaking to new entrepreneurs, what's the advice you give to them about starting and getting going and borrowing money and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I would say first, like the place that when looking for something to do to make money, right? You want to look at the fastest and quickest way to start making money on something is find something like you already kind of have a talent in or that you like. Because any of this stuff like takes time and effort, right, to do. And like you're willing to invest more energy and time into something if you already kind of enjoy it or you're already kind of good at it. If you're a, a nurse or something and then like you're going to try to, you know, step out and like be a, a baseball telecaster, like it's not going to work. Like unless you, you know, unless you're just extremely passionate about it, like just because you can make money doing it. Like I don't know, if that's a great example, but like, you'd have to like go and learn communication skills and like how to do it. And then go, you know, you're like going in a total different direction. Like, but if you stop being a nurse for a hospital and then you went in and did like a home care company or something, and it's like, it's close to what you already know. There doesn't take a whole lot of like new retooling for you to do it. So like, that's the kind of stuff, like take a look at like what talents you already have and interests you already have and what assets you have, whether it's a, a pickup truck, whether it's a garage to store stuff, is it, you know, a contact, somebody, you know, and kind of narrow it down with that. And the other thing is like, look for people like, like me, I, I've, I've kind of got my own thing going. I'm, I'm focused on, on what I'm doing, but like, I see opportunities and probably more, more so in like bigger businesses, people that work at bigger businesses, like they see opportunities that we don't get to see. And they may say, okay, man, somebody could really make a good living, like providing this little service to this bit, to our business that we can't find or whatever. And like ask people like, Hey, I'm thinking about going to business. Like, and this is kind of what I'm thinking about doing. Like, do you have any ideas for me or, or know of anything? Because a lot of times it's a, it's something that's not being addressed in these bigger companies. And you can you could start right there, and and it's not really worth the big company getting into the business of doing that or, or whatever. But you could step right in and start making money for them, and then you add customers as you go. Because I see stuff all the time. Like, hey, I can make money doing this, but it's not worth the return. Isn't big enough for me to get interested in it personally. You know, it's like I could make a thousand dollars a week doing X, Y, and Z or whatever. But like, Hey, it's not worth my time at that level at this point, but for someone starting out or like doing like a little second side hustle, like it's, it'd be huge. It'd be great. So that's where you have to kind of, uh, kind of ask around and, and talk to people. Cause there, a lot of people see opportunities, but they just either can't act on them or don't want to, or it's not worth their time. 
So I would uh, consider that probably good advice and and doing stuff that other people refuse to do or don't want to do. That's a great way to make a living. I mean, some of the nastiest jobs, you know, they make the most money. Um, you know, what, what are you thinking of when you say nasty job, Stephen? Because uh, my I mean, mind goes dark. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, there's a lot of dark stuff in there that I could go to. But I mean, I've, I've just been thinking. I've been driving around lately and been looking at like a lot of commercial businesses and places. Like, you know, they, a lot of them have retention ponds here in America. Like, you have to have retention ponds where the water runs off your parking lot, whatever. And every time you see one of those things, like, you know, they have got great manicured lawns and everything, but their retention pond looks like a jungle. Yeah. So like, I'm pretty sure you could have a great business going around to these like large companies and medium sized companies and gas station stuff and just clearing out their retention ponds. Like that's all you do is retention pond, like maintenance because whatever other reason, like the, the lawn care companies don't want to do it. And so like, <laughs> you know, it's cause it's kind of, you know, it's like, it's jungly. Like it's, you know, it's taking a lot more physical labor. You're not just riding on lawnmower and cruising, you know, at 20 miles an hour. And so like, there's a huge opportunity and they're everywhere. You know, so those are kind of things that like doing stuff that other people are just like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Like crawling under houses and like crawl space and stuff. Like nobody wants to do that. Like, man, you can make a fortune, like lining people's crawl spaces with plastic. They'll give you a blank check. You know, <laughs> charge me whatever you think. Here's my wallet. Give me back as much as you think I deserve after doing it, you know, because I, I sure as heck don't want to get under there, you know. So I don't know. Like I've, I've kind of made a list of things that like I've. For people starting up, like they're just ideas that like, you know, that you could start up without needing much, much money at all or none, right? That I've just identified kind of over time and just thinking about them. Like, so a lot of times we see like large companies when they're, they're selling bulk stuff, they sell them in lots of a hundred or 200 or 500 or whatever it may be. And there's companies out there I've, I've seen or I've heard about that like all they do is break boxes, right? So if they only sell them in lots of a thousand, like they buy them in a lot of thousand, and break them into lots of a hundred and resell them and mark it up, you know, 30%. Because not everybody needs a thousand or something. Not everybody needs a hundred, you know, like they may only need 15 bolts or widgets or whatever. Like, so you can make money just, just buying something in bulk and breaking it down into smaller units and selling them online. The other thing too, like buying stuff from China, that only comes from China that takes three weeks to get here. Well, sometimes I want it tomorrow and I want to wait three weeks. So like if someone in America would already bought it, and been sitting on an inventory of five or 10 of them and marked them up, you know, 50%, I just buy them from them for 50% more just to have it fast. So that's something else that like, and that, most of that stuff's super cheap. It's just a timing thing. I have a, I know a guy that he works two months out of the year putting up Christmas lights. He makes it, he makes enough money in two months out of the year to not work the rest of the year. <laughs> and like, he's not poor. You know what I mean? Like he just gets after it for two months out of the year and just chills the rest of the time consignment businesses. Those are great. Like no money required down. Like people need help selling stuff. They don't want to be, has, you know, taking a hundred phone calls and whatever you take the phone calls, you sell it for them, meet the people at, at their place, whatever you get a commission, bam, you're in business bird dogging for people. Like I can't be in every place all the time. I can't be all over the internet looking at all these auctions and places and doing all this stuff. So like, Hey, I'd pay somebody to, be a bird dog for me and, and be looking around and, and uh, hunting certain items and, and any, any business that's looking for particular things, whether it's antiques or jewelry or whatever, looking for people to, uh, to find stuff for them. So being a finder, getting finder fees, managing people's rentals or Airbnbs, like, and not being a, a real estate agent, you don't have to be a real estate agent to do that, at least not in America, but like it's, it could be a hassle. Like 
taking the emails and the phone calls and, you know, managing the, you know, the maids and the people coming in, like, yeah, you can make lots of money. There's a lot of people that don't want to want the hassle, but they have the asset. That's something that requires zero (laughs) capital up front, just a little bit of organization and time. See, what the theme I'm kind of getting here is where there's a problem. And I think that's what you're spotting when you see an opportunity is someone's got a problem. There's a way to fix it and to make it easier. Uh, oh, yeah. That seems I, to be the theme. Oh, I look for I look for complainers, man. I love complainers because anytime someone's complaining, <laughs> it means it means they have a problem that's not being addressed. And so, like when someone's like, "Oh, I can't find anybody to do this," like, boom, what my ears perk up. So yeah, I have that on my note. Like, look for people that have hassles that don't like hassle and just take over their hassles for them. Say, "Yeah, I'll take over your hassle." And if it's something you already kind of enjoy or that's something that you're going to learn from, it's gold. Like, do it for free. If it's something you're going to get experience and learn from. And you're having trouble like getting anybody to pay you for it first. Do it for free, and then you then you have experience. I know a guy in the na- in my neighborhood that uh, people are constantly moving in and out of the city, and whenever they post uh, moving boxes, he goes and picks up all the moving boxes. And when someone posts, "Hey, I'm looking for moving boxes," he sells them to them, and then he picks up. You know, <laughs> and so he's just basically transferring <laughs> moving cardboard moving boxes from one house to the other, and like makes money doing it. And it's like, how easy can it get? So, I mean, it's like really like they, they say there's, there's no such thing as a money problem. It's just an idea problem. Like you just don't have the ideas. And so there are, cause there's money everywhere. There's ideas, you know, there's ways to make money all over the place. It's like really, you just have to kind of open your eyes and tune your brain into it. I love that. And one of my favorite bits you said there is I listen out for the complainers. So for everyone listening to this podcast, (laughs) find the complainers, the people that are complaining, there is an opportunity there to fix something and charge for it. And an unbelievable opportunity at that. Stephen, can you believe that that's, we've been chatting now for an hour. Can you believe that? It's, uh, I can totally believe it, man. Time flies when you're having fun. It really does. So look, we've got a, a motivated audience who are out there building businesses, yeah. making money. Your story is really inspiring of how you spotted an opportunity, flipped it, worked out how to grow that business. It's so inspiring. What's the closing message you would want to leave with early stage entrepreneurs who are just getting out there and making it happen? What would you want to say to them? Well, I think what you have to do is like you have to do something that you're having a good time doing it. And not just for the money. I just read this the other day. It's like, don't let life fly by on dollar bill wings. And like, it's true, right? Like once you get in mix in the mix of this and you're, you know, I've, I've seen people that do businesses just because they make money at it and they really don't care that much. You know, it's, it's something that's kind of inconsequential, you know, selling janitorial supplies and stuff. And it's like, it's like, Oh, what? Like, yeah, you can make money doing it, but like, does it really feed you like your soul and like, and like make you whole and feel good. Like when everything's in tune and you're like, you're doing something that you're made to do and you're having fun doing it and we're like money will cascade over you. And so like, you know, is it really worth your life's energy and attention to do something that like, yeah, you're being an entrepreneur and you're getting, getting it done, but like that you're, you're just making money. It's just about making the money. It's not like doing something that you really are, you know, got your whole heart and head behind. Because when it is, like, you'll make way more money. You know, that was one of the things that, like, uh, our friend Sean, when I went from being an uh, independent rep and taking those companies on, I got to the point to where I was still taking the money from the companies and just not performing as much sales for them as I should. It was kind of on autopilot. And I was collecting the check from the work I'd done and the previous stuff. But 
but really like my heart wasn't in it anymore, but it was holding me back. And I was like, I still got to go make these calls. And like, but I see this opportunity with this, you know, this other stuff. And Sean's like, look, man, you got to cut it loose and go full into this other thing. And as soon as I did that, like it just skyrocketed because like all my attention focused on it and boom, it, it was off to the races. And since then I hadn't looked back, but like if I would have, you know, kind of clung to that, that little steady bit of money and like kind of kept that in my, you know, in my belt, it would have dragged me down and taken longer for me to, to really be doing the fun stuff I, I, I've been doing for so long. It's just like, I was just scared a little bit to, even though I was already kind of out on my own, I was scared to just cut that cash source income stream loose and focus directly on what I was doing. And, and but as soon as I did it, like it made all the difference in the world and it just, it started all coming together. Stephen, I love that advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being part of it. If the audience want to find out more about what you do in your business, is there any way they can look or will you just turn up in their lives and try and sell them <laughs> something at some stage or do they find out more about you? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, uh, if you want, we can post some, some info on the, you know, on the podcast, uh, a link or something and, and they can contact me directly or, you know, I'd be happy to answer questions or, you know, they can email me, call me, whatever. And we could talk about their situation or, you know, I'd love to hear, hear their stories too. I just like talking to entrepreneurs, you know, it's always fun. And uh, sometimes you get, get great advice from them, you know, that somebody has seen something similar to what you do and say, Hey, this is a better way to do it. Or this is, I know somebody else doing it and they're doing this. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear from any of them. So that was the episode with Stephen. I've got three things I wanted to highlight for you. The first was get the money up front. Cash flow is so important and nearly every business we come across is built from debt, not from profit. But Stephen managed to get out there and get his first deal and sell it before he'd even bought it. So cash flow is critical. Get the money up front. The second thing I'd love to give you is this thought of finding the complainers. I love this idea. Find the people who have problems. Find the people who are complaining and help them fix it. There is unbelievable opportunity in the complainers. So for the next week, every time you talk to someone, listen for the complaints. And the third thing I would love to give you is based on Stephen's ability just to talk to people. It doesn't seem to matter whether it's someone on the side of the street, someone on the phone. He just picks up the phone. He just talks to people. He just meets people. And I think, me included, we get nervous about talking to strangers. And that's some old programming from when we were younger. You just need to pick up the phone. You just need to talk to people. You just need to speak to the people who are in the room with you because you never know where it's going to lead. So over the next week, start some conversations and see where it goes. What an episode. Thank you for listening to The Rightable Entrepreneur. And go out there. If you haven't found your first deal yet, start now and start working on that first sale. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out, be different, be yourself, be a rebel entrepreneur.